Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Run to Daylight Football Funcast with your host, Todd Burroughs. latest installment of the Run to Daylight podcast. I'm your host, Todd Burrows. You can follow me on Twitter at Todd from PA. That's T-O-D-F-R-O-M-P-A. If you follow me and let me know you heard the pod, I'll definitely follow you back. We're hosted today by ffcouchcoach.com, a great place to learn about dynasty leagues. And occasionally I'll throw an article up there just so that I can say I'm a writer I'm joined today by two people that I'm very happy to have with me. Joining me first for the third time is Justin Lanero of Fantasy Goodfellows. Justin, how are you doing today? Doing all right, Todd. Thanks for having me on. It's, it's Father's oh, Day. Absolutely. Thanks for helping to put this together. You're coming, becoming kind of a bit of a co-host here. Um, and we're, we're both really excited to have Adam Levitan with us. Adam is a DraftKings analyst. He's co-host of the Daily Fantasy Football Edge Pod, along with Peter Jennings and Al Zeidenfeld. He's the Fantasy Labs writer, Roto-Grinders contributor, two-time FSWA award winner, and the former king of the Roto-World football blurbs, and most importantly, father to the world's most interesting dog, Jerry. Adam, welcome to the Run to Daylight Pod. Yeah, most importantly, father to Jerry. You got that exactly right. Big day for her today with the Father's Day and all, and her being my, my firstborn and everything. So, yeah, it's a big day. Yeah. Um, is uh, is your kid old enough? Uh, you, have a, you have a child as well, right? Yep, I have a child as well. He's my secondborn. But, but yeah, yeah, they're, him and Jerry are best friends for sure. Oh, that's awesome. So um, it's kind of interesting that you're coming on the pod at this time. We we had kicked back and forth on Twitter a little bit, and then I was at the Roto Grinders. Uh, what would you call that thing last year? The uh, yeah, the players' park. conference. Yeah. yeah, the players' conference. There you go. That was such a hard word that I couldn't get it. Um, and it was it, it turned out to be the week that Daily Fantasy was basically uh, a bomb was dropped on the conference by Schneiderman. And it led to FanDuel and DraftKings losing their privileges to, to work in New York. And so it's kind of interesting that the week that they, we got fantasy back in New York, you're, you're on the show. Uh, kind of a, a little bit of a symbiosis, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, thankfully, I was really sweating that. I, you know, I, um, I've sweat a lot of things in my life, you know, playing poker and playing fantasy and playing sports and everything, but that might have been one of the biggest sweats uh, I've ever had just because it just means so much to the industry, not to just have the the New York market, but also to have New York set the precedent for all these other states. So, you know, now 
we can point to New York and say, hey, listen, you know, they're, they've established these rules and regulations. This is working in New York. It, it can work in, in your state, too. So I think it'll be a bit of a domino effect, which is obviously really, really huge for the industry. So definitely a huge relief to, to get that through New York, and hopefully the guys up there will, will get to start playing again sometime in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I expect uh, Mario uh, Mario Cuomo, um, his son, to sign the bill. I can't remember anything tonight. And uh, I think it'll be put into law. And and then basically, I think you're right, 100%. I think that this was kind of a template, and it could have gone template for good, template for bad. And it was funny because I woke up in the middle of the night and I'm checking Twitter because what else do you do when you wake up in the middle of the night uh, when you have no life? And I was seeing everyone sweat this, all the industry vets. So I was really happy that it worked out for everyone, myself included, because I live in PA like you do. And I'm in the city three, four or five times a month. And it's frustrating. And I never remember that I can't, you know, set a lineup at lunch when I'm in New York. So very excited about that. Very excited to be doing this podcast. It's the first of a three-part series that Justin and I are going to be doing on the MFL 10. Adam, why don't you tell those who might not know what an MFL 10 is and how you play it? Yeah, it's actually amazing because for somebody like me who really, uh, I, I don't know, like I don't have almost any desire anymore to play season long. And um, I just all like the transactions and the trades and everything. It's just a lot of it is um, just too much work for not enough rewards. So best ball is amazing because it kind of combines season long and DFS where you do a draft and then you don't touch your team again. There's no trade. There's no waiver ads. And um, the computer just selects your best players for you each week within the roster uh, parameters. So it's pretty amazing. Um, and, yep. yeah, I mean, it's, it's basically draft only. That's pretty much all you need to know. It's just draft only. Yep. I, you know, I call it the one-night stand of fantasy sports. You know, mm-hmm. everyone knows what a one-night stand is and why you would enjoy it. Um, it's, you know, the good part without all the hard work. Uh, of a relationship. And I find in MFL 10, I used to always end up joining more redraft leagues than I really wanted to, because I wanted to draft more than once or twice. And then I'm Mm -hmm. stuck trying to put lineups together for five, six teams every week. And you want to shoot yourself about week eight. Um, Justin, when did you start playing MFL 10s? How many did you do last year? How many have you done so far this year, and how many are you planning on finishing at? Well, that's a good question, Todd. I probably two or three years ago I started doing MFL tens. I, it's I think it's still in its infancy, and last year I did only three or four, and I think I won half or one or two. I've done seven so far. I probably do I don't know ten or fifteen. Sometimes you can get stuck in in one with somebody that can take forever or whatever. I mean, it's, it's cool because there's an eight hour window. So there's really no sense of uh, ur- urgency to get the draft done. And um, obviously it's just June. And I think I started doing them right when the window opened this, this season. So it might've been February or March. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. Like Adam said, I mean, you dra- set it and forget it. It's kind of like what we should do with our DFS lineup. Sometimes just set it and 
Um, there should be some type of app instituted so you can't fiddle around and, and, and you, you, know, you get tweet. electroshock when you go to change your lineups on a Sunday morning. Right. So I'm, I'm yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I'm kind of like Adam and, and go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I, I always seem to make the wrong choice on a Sunday morning. So Adam, how about you? How many did you play last year so far this year? And how many do you figure you'll end up playing before this is all over? Yeah, um, I don't know. I probably did. I, I like doing some of the higher stakes ones. So I think I did three or four of the of the higher stakes ones last year. I don't think I cashed at all, actually. Um, I didn't even look back to see why. But I might do more uh, this year just to get a feel for what people think about players, you know, because, like, you can go into a DFS season and obviously knowing what our opponents are going to do is a huge part of it. And I think you can kind of tell the perception of, of players based on where they go in season long. So like by doing MFL drafts, like, you know, I can tell there's certain guys like Jeremy Langford, people are really low on and and AJ Green, people are really high on. Um, So you can tell stuff like that by the draft. So I'll keep doing them just to keep tabs on it. But um, yeah, I don't think I'm going to do them to like, you know, try to make any kind of big profit or anything like that. I I think that doing it for the draft for the experience, that was fun. Well, I mean, I hope to do both. I, I discovered this last year around this time, and I ended up doing, believe it or not, 88 of them. And mm-hmm. uh, so if MFL 10s are the one-night stand of fantasy, uh, I'm kind of a, an addict and need to go to MFL 10 AA. I've done about 30, 35 so far this year. And I think you made a very interesting point, Adam, in the sense that it helps you to prepare for the season. I had my best year in regular fantasy that I've had in a few years. And when it came time for the draft, I I really knew when guys were going to be where for the most part. And that was mm-hmm. a huge advantage. So, yeah, you can make money on MFL 10s but they really can be great preparation for the season. Don't you think, Justin? Yeah, it, it's a guide. It really is a guide in terms of preparation for season-long drafts come August. And um, you'll see people reaching because they want a, a particular individual uh, a round or two earlier. But it, the more you do, the more of an idea you have as to where people are going. I can I definitely agree with Adam in, in, in terms of, getting some type of vision as to where, what type of um, production is expected on some of these players when it's time to open up week one and DFS prices come out. If you're, you're smelling any value at a, at a particular position. And I, I think the industry, the DFS industry is kind of caught off guard for the first couple of weekend weekends because they don't have a, a real measure to gauge from in terms of, you know, what these guys are, are, are you know, capable of doing. So it's a, yeah, it really is a, is a guy that I wish I got into him 10 years ago because it, it keeps you active during the off season for so many years. You, once your season league ended prior to, you know, DF, you know, DFS and all that, um, it was a long off season. Now it's like football 365. I'm not a big dynasty guy. So I kind of use MFL tens or twenties as a tool to kind of keep me busy through the off season. And um, yeah, so it's, it, and it's definitely, you know, I try to do, I'm going to try to do one or two a week. Um, I think that's good enough. I don't want to, uh, you said 88, which is, I mean, that's a ton. I, I think I would be thrown out of my, my residence if I did 88. Um, but uh, 
Good for you. Uh, <laughs> well, well, I didn't you have know, two Rugrats. Thanks. I have one. She's nine. But, uh, you know, I'm a sales rep. I'm on the road a lot. I have time. You know, they come at a reasonable pace. And, you know, honestly, I, I don't think I'll do 88 this year. I say that, but I'm, I'm at a much slower pace than I was last year. Uh, I, I, I basically subscribed to what I heard on podcasts like Ross Tucker and Evan Silva on the Fantasy Feast. Every week they would have a guest, and a lot of times they would talk about strategies and what was the winning formula for MFL 10s. I know Kevin Cole over at Rotoviz talked about it being a formulaic type approach. And the, the, the approach seemed to be running back heavy, take two quarterbacks, take them late unless you get a lot of value, make sure you get three defenses. And I think everyone was on the same page last year. And then every single running back got hurt. Um, don't you think that scrambled everyone's brain a bit, Adam? Yeah, I mean, this has been going on for a few years now where running backs, if, if you avoided running backs early, you most likely profited. Um, but, yeah, for sure, I think it's really swung this year. Now, like, even the casual MFL 10 player and the casual fantasy football player is familiar with the term zero RB. And, like, I think you're going to see this year this huge trend of, of wide receivers going um, in the first and second round at a way higher clip uh, than running backs. But I, I actually kind of like, like, the more you do drafts, the more you do MFLs, like, I kind of like the running backs in the mid-rounds this year, whereas usually I don't. Um, and there's certainly some controversy, you know. You can get into whether you like Matt Jones and Jay Ajayi and, and Langford um, and Woodhead. And, and, and your boy Ryan and Matthews. Guys. And Ryan Matthews, yeah. I mean, you, you can debate those guys all you want, but um, – they're obviously cost way less if you feel like you're taking a risk with Adrian Peterson and his age or David Johnson and his somewhat unproven workload. Um, you know, I, I think that I'm more willing to take risks in the fifth through eighth rounds at the running back position than I am early. So, yeah, I think that, that everybody is going to be uh, taking wide receivers early, and, and I'm always open to zigging when everybody else is zagging. So I'm not going to argue with anybody going running back early heavy, but to me the optimal for now looks like, wide receiver early and running back to the middle rounds. Well, and that, and that was going to be my next question. How, if at all, have you adapted your strategy from last year to this year? I know I came in thinking, well, everyone's going to be off the running backs. So mm -hmm. I'm going to be able to get the ones that I want earlier and I'm still going to be running back heavy. And that's how I would uh, mm -hmm. zig while everyone else is zagging. Yeah, and, that's, and, that's, that's, and that's, that sounds really good, but which, but which ones do you want? Well, and that's what, that's what ended up happening to me, and that's, we'll get to the first round a little bit later. I do want to get into, because that is the springboard for the rest of your draft, I do want to get into that. But I think that you know anybody who has half a brain on their shoulders should go into something with one strategy and then be willing to change it if – the, you know, the theory you're working on proves to be incorrect, and that's what I did. And so now I am doing what you're saying. I, I would much prefer to get an early draft pick. And, you know, to me, there's six wide receivers that I would take before I took one running back. And mm -hmm. so I, I guess I'm saying that I've adjusted, and I, I, I won't say that I'm ready to go three wide receiver or two wide receiver to start all that often, 
But um, I, I definitely like starting with one of those stud wide receivers because there aren't any stud running backs to that level. Would you agree, Justin? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think we're in an MFL 10 together right now, Todd. And the way it went for me, I, I have pick 12. I went Mike Evans, Keenan Allen, bang, bang. And then round three, I grabbed Jeremy Macklin. So my third wide receiver is going to be Jeremy Macklin, who kind of sets a safe floor. Uh, his ceiling is limited. I, you know, 85 catches, probably 1,100 yards, eight touchdowns. That's fine for me there. And then round four, I grabbed Deion Lewis, who I'm keen on, one of these receiving running backs. He actually was, uh, reminds me of Barry Sanders a little bit. That's laughable, but the way he runs, and I'm, I'm kind of a homer because I'm in New England. But that's the type of guy that I'm targeting in the mid-rounds. Giovanni Bernard is, is in that talk. Obviously, Duke Johnson and Charles Sims a little bit later. And going back to what Adam said, he asked you, well, who are you looking at? And, and, and uh, there's a level of uncertainty for me at just about all these elite running backs who we're talking about. That's Adrian Peterson, right, his age. Jarek McKinnon's going to get the load a little, you know, he'll, he'll cut into that. But Adrian Peterson, when is he going to wear it out? Obviously, Le'Veon Bell has had some knee injuries. He's an investment for the Pittsburgh Steelers. We saw what D'Angelo Williams was capable of doing in Le'Veon Bell's absence. So he'll, he's going to steal. Todd Gurley's going to be on a lopsided, flat, probably Rams team. He's another investment. Are you going to take all the tread off of his tires this early in his career. And, and David Johnson, I've talked about, there's a, there's a small sample size for David Johnson. With a, Andre Ellington's there. Chris Johnson's still there. We don't know what Bruce Arians is going to do with him. For me, in an MFL 10 at this point, like you said, Todd, there's six wide receivers that I'm probably going to take before I take any running back. Obviously, Antonio Brown, Beckham, Julio Jones, A.J. Green, DeAndre Hopkins, Allen Robinson. Um, at, I'm I might take Mike Evans and, like I said, Keenan Allen in that crowd there because there's a level of certainty when I draft those guys. I know that I'm looking at around 90 receptions, 12, 1,300 yards, and 10 to 15 touchdowns, where the running backs that I mentioned, there is a a level of ambiguity because I don't know the volume or the role uh, or their injury heading into week one. Well, and that's an excellent point. That, I mean, it's, it's an excellent point, and I think that um, there's one guy that I don't know that you mentioned, and he's not on my list, but he's on most of the lists that I've heard so far, and I've been meaning to ask Adam this. Anyway, uh, what are your thoughts on Des Bryant this year, Adam? Do you put him in that elite first six or seven level, or do you put him back a little bit and then the other thing that I've really been having a problem with, and I listened to your podcast almost every week last year, and one of the things you talked a lot about, and, 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 and we all learned as the season went on, was the pace that Dallas likes to play at is so, you know, they want to take time off the clock. And now you've got two guys being drafted on the same team in the first round. I would really like your thoughts on the Dallas situation and whether you think both Des Bryant and Ezekiel Elliott are first-round picks. Yeah, I expect the Dallas offense to be really efficient this year, right? So, like, even though they play really slow, I feel like that could affect their opponents more than it affects their own fantasy production because when they get the ball, and Tony, this all assumes Tony Romo is healthy, right? Like, we've seen 
what a train wreck they become when Tony Romo is not healthy. But as soon as Tony Romo expect him to be really, really efficient, and Des Bryant's reports are reasonably good on his foot, um, I would have some pause this early in MFL 10 on Des Bryant just because of the foot injury. But assuming that he is good to go, I mean, he's such a dominant uh, red zone weapon in his prime. I, I certainly like Des Bryant a lot. In the back of the first round, um, I would take Allen Robinson before I took Des Bryant, but I think he's in that same conversation with, with Allen Robinson. And I would certainly take A.J. Green over, over both of those guys. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, I think Des is such a freak special talent and such a goal line dominator that uh, I'm fine with him. And I understand the question about pace. I just think Dallas is going to score a lot of points this year, uh, even though they're going to play slow. All right. And what about Ezekiel Elliott? Because he's going in the first round as well. Yeah. I mean, like, before the 2014 rookie wide receiver class happened, like, I everybody assumed and knew that rookie wide receivers were really going to struggle and running backs where we were going to make our money. And if you look back historically, it's been like that. And, and I still subscribe to that. You know, I'll be, I'm very, very unlikely to take any – uh, rookie wide receivers too high in any drafts this year. Um, but running back has proven time and time again that it's certainly uh, very possible for them to do well. And it's kind of hard for Ezekiel Elliott not to play well. I, I don't consider myself any kind of college tape grinder, but from what I've seen and what I've read, Ezekiel Elliott is a, um, I don't want to say generational talent of the running back position, but a total in the same conversation as Gurley and Adrian Peterson and all these guys that were actually worth top five picks. Um, and also, you know, uh, Ezekiel is going to play all three downs and is an excellent pass protector, which is two things that I really look for when I'm making fantasy picks. But, yeah, I think Ezekiel Elliott in the first round is, is totally, totally fine. All right. Well, that, that's, uh, that, that is a good take, and I certainly can see why smart people are doing it. It's not what I'm doing. Uh, beyond my – you know, again, one of the things, again, that I – heard you pound last year and I'm a big believer in is in early in a draft or when you're picking someone from DFS, you want as few questions as possible. You, you want the, the least amount. So you've got a team that does tend to play a little slower the, that you've got a team that has, you know, Des has the foot injury, Tony Romo's old and coming off a couple years where he was injured as much as he was healthy um, they do have a dominant offensive line. And now you've got two guys being drafted in the first round with those issues. I'm mm -hmm. just, my take is I'm more likely to let someone else take that risk than I am. Um, yeah. I definitely like David Johnson and Todd Gurley more than I do Ezekiel Elliott and Des Bryant. I agreed exactly where you put him. I would put Des behind Allen Robinson, definitely behind the, the four or five big guys, including AJ Green. So um, any thoughts on that? I know you had some pretty strong opinions on Dallas, Justin. What, what are your thoughts on the Cowboys? Yeah, I mean, you kind of nailed it. I mean, they're going to run the football. We know that. And Jerry Jones is also going to want to show off his new toy, that being Ezekiel Elliott. From a talent standpoint, I mean, I, they drafted him as high as they did. I think the talent's there. Is he Todd Gurley? Probably not. Um, we know what Des Bryant, a healthy Des Bryant, is capable of doing, and primarily he's healthy. 
and he has about as high as a ceiling as any wide receiver. So sorry that I left him out there. Um, I would, I think I would put him, and a lot of this is hinged on Tony Romo's health as well. Like Adam said, if Tony Romo's banged up, it's the Cowboys are just as gross of an offense as, as you can get. So in a season-long league, you're going to take Zeke Elliott or, or, or Des Bryant. I mean, I, you know, again, I am an anti-running back at this day and age because of the, vol- you know, the volume and the shares and, and undetermined roles as such. But for me, Des Bryant, again, and he's making strides as far as health, is a top five, six wide receiver. In fact, I took him in the football diehards draft six last week, pick six, which is a PPR league. And then the, the rest of the draft turned out just fine. But this is, they're going to, you know, take things slow with Des Bryant. He's obviously an expensive asset to the Cowboys. I have no problem taking him in the first round, in the mid first round. And in fact, I would probably put him five behind AJ Green. Well, I've been taking at least one running back in the first two rounds, most of the time in the second round, Jamal Charles, if he falls, uh, there's a few other guys that I, that are typically, you know, Adrian Peterson, Devontae Freeman. A lot of times, if even if I'm in the back end of a draft, uh, two six, two eight, one of those guys seems to fall to me, and if they do, I'm going to take them and get a solid running back on the board because you do have to start two running backs every week in MFL 10s. But I am slowly drifting less and less running back early. And part of the reason is there appears to be so much running back value, even as late as round 12 or 13. Adam, have you been finding really great value like I have in the running backs around that uh, part of the draft? Yeah, I mean, there's going to come with questions, right? Like um, Wendell Smallwood is someone that sticks out to me in the 12th and 13th round. I think I took... DeAndre Washington maybe in, in the 15th round or so. I'm sure there's plenty of guys that I'm missing more veteran guys. Who, who you got for me? Well, the one guy, I mean, just uh, – and, and I should have had this up already. I'll pull up uh, – I do have it up. I uh, But uh, one guy like Vereen, Shane Vereen tends to be mm-hmm. there, 12th, 13th, 14th round. He's a great uh, best ball running back because you don't have to pick the weeks that he has a big game. You know he's mm-hmm. going to have five or six games where he gets five or six catches, and that's really good. Um, some of the other guys that I've been finding there late, um, I've been finding Derrick Henry there. I've been finding mm-hmm. Isaiah Crowell there. Uh, Justin mm-hmm. Forsett and uh, Javorius Allen have both been there. Uh, Carlos Williams is starting to drop into that range. And I found Tevin Coleman once or twice as well. Uh, mm-hmm. And Bilal Pal. So again, you're right. They, they're, they're, and you're not going to get a guy with no questions in that range, but I'm finding that I like the running backs I can get in that range, you know, that eight to 12th round range better than the wide receivers I find there. Yeah. Now, I think the key also is all the guys you mentioned, or for the most part, the guys you mentioned are pass catchers, and obviously this is this is full PPR. It just makes such a big difference. You, the guys that I'm taking shots on are always going to be uh, guys that can catch passes. Yep, and that leads me to my next question, which is about the wide receivers. 
I know you say you don't like to play redraft much anymore. I still do. But how do you look at wide receivers differently for season long versus best ball? Do you look at them any differently? Do you kind of look for different guys uh, or do you pretty much like the guys that you like? Yeah, I think that the kind of the chalk answer to that is to say that guys like Deshaun Jackson and, and Torrey Smith and Vincent Jackson and these guys that um, are very volatile, like their range of outcomes is very volatile, are better best ball picks. Um, that's probably true. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's like <clears throat> if you have a hard time, this guy is going to have, you know, two for 20 one week and, you know, four for 105 and two touchdowns. Another week, and it's hard to predict, obviously, he's a better best ball pick. So uh, I think that, that makes some sense. Uh, but mostly, I, I think it's very similar. I'm looking for guys that um, have a, I think are talented. Like, you know, in season long, I'm, I care way more about talent than I do in DFS. And in DFS, talent rarely comes into the equation, maybe, you know, 10% of my decision, whereas in season long, talent might be uh, 50% of the decision. And then in dynasty, talented you know, 100% of the decision and 90% of the decision. Um, so, yeah, I think for season long, uh, I'm looking for talented guys just like I am in, in MFL, um, just like I am in season long. Yeah, that's something that I definitely look for in my wide receivers, but it's not one or the other. I don't want a lineup with six. I don't want an MFL 10 team with six volatile guys. So what mm-hmm. I tend to do is I look. I tend to look to make sure that I have at least like I said, I want the, I'd like to get, you know, the first one of the first five or six picks in the draft, get a, a Odell Beckham or an Antonio Brown, that guy who gives you both the upside and the week to week where they rarely have a week where they don't catch five or six passes. And then I'll, I'll, I'll look to take a Jarvis Landry or a Macklin as my second guy. Again, a guy I know who can give me week in, week out a good performance. But then I do look for those volatile guys, the guys that I would hate to have on my regular fantasy team because it would drive me crazy which week they go off and which week they don't. And that's one of the big advantages of best ball is a guy like Torrey Smith, you know, if you get him in the you know 10th round, another guy I like this year is Travis Benjamin. I think he's a great best ball wide receiver. Uh, Philip Rivers throws a great uh, deep ball. And, you know, I think he's going to have four or five weeks where he just goes bonkers. But you might have a couple weeks where he doesn't do much. Justin, have you put much thought into this? How do you like to build your wide receivers? Or do you just take the guy that you like? Um, it's like a puzzle for, for the MFL 10s or redraft. I mean, I'm going to treat it like a puzzle and I'm going to chant nine out of 10 times. I'm going to take a wide receiver, wide receiver and, permitting I can grab say LaShawn McCoy or let's see um, at this point in time, maybe Eddie Lacy round three. I'll do that. I treat it similar. Obviously you're going to have to take some shots in the dark with best ball where you're set it and forget it. And, and like you said, Torrey Smith presents some value, although I wouldn't draft him and, and redraft. I don't, I don't, I'm not really keen on the 49ers offense, but it's a similar approach. And the majority of the time, it's wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver. Uh, but 
I'm going to take the best player available. Um, looking at the role that he has on his team, the volume that he's going to receive, and uh, like which corresponds to the the opportunities that he'll have. So um, I've cut down my season long leagues. I think I do the Scott Fish Bowl, this Football Diehards.com draft, and uh, my home league of 17 years, and the rest is DFS and these best balls, which I I check in from time to time. I will say I don't really keep a close eye on them. It's it's a glorified game of bingo. Set it and forget it, and um, you know you'll get a notification if you if you won. Um, <laughs> You're a better man you than me. I I obsess over them. Yeah, yeah. Eighty well, eighty eight is, is tough to to monitor that type of activity. I, I like I said I won a couple last year, which was great, but it's it's a matter of balance. I'm not going too heavy in one area and not as I'm grabbing two or three defenses. I'm definitely, I found myself with a lot of Jordan Reed round four and I'm backing him up with Niles Paul really, really late because we know how injury prone Jordan Reed is. In fact, he's, he's banged up as we speak, but when he's healthy in a 16 game season, his ceiling is as high as just about anybody's. It would appear And Ryan round four is he's landing on my lap. Could I be in trouble? Because I have them in 75% of the MFL 10s that, I'm do, that I've done already. Oh, yeah. But um, no risk, no reward there. So, Yeah, I, uh, you know, that's one of the key guys that I'm going to go over in episode two when we do the, the mid-rounds. Um, he's actually got an ADP, according to Rotoviz, of 36. So I just got him at pick four or five. That was my first share. I've seen him go in the second round which with his injury history is just too early for me. But let's transition over to the quarterback position. You do see quarterbacks going in MFL 10s much later than in a traditional redraft league. Adam, what are your thoughts on quarterbacks in MFL 10s, and how do you like to get them? Yeah, no, it's always the same deal with quarterbacks for me in every format, DFS, uh, best ball redraft. I am always the last one to take a quarterback or, or one of the last ones, um, you know, for obvious reasons. I don't think we have to really spend too much time on it. We've seen it over and over again with Eli Manning and Blake Bortles and, and Philip Rivers. You can get in the 11th, 12th, 13th round, and they finish as top five quarterbacks um, all the time. Like the most success I ever had was – with Dante Culpepper when uh, the year that he blew up, I was like, well, you know, this guy has some good wide receivers and, and he can run a little bit. So I'll take him in the, in the 14th round and see what happens. And, uh, and yeah, that was unbelievable. So yeah, you know, it's just always the same for me with quarterbacks. I'll rarely take one early. Yeah. I I will take uh, you know, I think sixth round for Aaron Rodgers is, is just, you know, I've taken him in the sixth round, like at six five, a few times. Yeah. Uh, it, it does two things for me. When you do a lot of these MFL tens, you want to mix up your exposure and the type of teams you build a little bit. So I don't mind grabbing him in the sixth round or Andrew Luck in the seventh, Russell Wilson in the seventh. Again, I'll I'll take. Uh, uh, it it allows me to to not feel like I've got to take a second quarterback until real late. Um, but again, overall, you named the names that I'm interested in. Another guy that I'm interested in um, that's real late, two guys, Kirk Cousins, I think, 13th, 14th round. And I, I think that uh, Ryan Tannehill, I mean, Adam Gase 
has just been a miracle worker in two stops, including getting Jay Cutler to play well. What are your thoughts on Tannehill this year, Adam? Yeah, I hear you on games. I I think that they kind of um, took the ball out of Cutler's hands perhaps more than um, fantasy owners would have liked, and perhaps I'm afraid of that. With Tannehill, somebody certainly has weapons. Uh, I mean, Jarvis Landry um, and the kid Carew and uh, Devontae Parker. I mean, that's pretty nice right there. And, and I could see the running game struggling with Jay Jahi and then a passing back in Kenyon Drake. So, I mean, I don't hate Tannehill, but I strongly really, really prefer um, Cousins. And I might even prefer uh, Joe Flacco to, to Tannehill. I don't know. That might be a hot take, but I, I think I prefer Joe Flacco. Not for me. I've got Flacco uh, almost as much as I do Tannehill. Uh, He's available 15th, 16th round in these things. And I'll throw out one kind of crazy idea because that's that's what I do sometimes. Uh, I'm going to go the opposite way of you, Justin, uh, on the Niners. I think that they will have a decent offense. Uh, I think Chip Kelly, I don't, I, I don't subscribe to the Chip is a genius and they're going to be great theory, but I don't think they're going to stink completely either. And um, I could see mixing Kaepernick in the 19th round with Gabbard in the 20th uh, in some formats as a way to kind of lock in that team. And, and if they do what Chip was able to do in Philadelphia. I mean, he got top 10 performances out of some pretty awful quarterbacks, and both these guys can run the ball to keep the defense honest. Adam, any idea, any thought on that? Am I crazy? The 49ers? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, oh, God, it's hard to say. I mean, Blaine Gabbard is not good at football, and I'm not sure that, that Colin Kaepernick is either. Uh, Chip? was so hesitant or, or actually stubborn here to adjust to his team's uh, talent. You know, like he did not adjust to what he had. He was running his scheme no matter what, and maybe he's learned from that, but but that scares me some. I mean, for me, Carlos Hyde is going uh, way higher than, than I would take him. Um, I don't know. Like if he, you said Kaepernick in the 20th round. Like are we, are we, are we certain that he's going to win the job over, over Blaine? No, my, my, uh, my whole thing was getting both of them. Pick, you know, pick okay, one in the 19th, pick the other in the 20th. Yeah, but then if you're trying to, like, I, I actually, I, I know you mentioned earlier, like, I don't like to, I, this might not be mathematically correct, but I think taking three defenses is a mistake. And I know I actually had this argument with, with Evan uh, last week. He likes to take three defenses also. I, I think two is more optimal just because we need depth at our other positions. But but I guess my point is if you're taking two 49ers uh, quarterbacks, you might not have room for three defenses. Yep, that's a fair point, and uh, it's not something I'm going to do much of, but I do think I'll do it a couple times. Put me down on the three defenses, though. Um, you know, Mike's, but but I like three defenses, but I'll never take one of the ones that are going in the, you know, 12th to 15th round. Um, ah, once in a while, I'll take one in the 15th. But last year, I identified a couple defenses that I really liked. Uh, where I normally like to keep my exposure on players to about 25% or less maximum in MFL10s. Defenses, I I have a little higher tolerance. And I was really, like you were in preseason, Adam, I was really on uh, 
uh, Phillips going to Denver. I had uh, about 30% share of them in the 16th round. I had the Vikings. And uh, this year for me, I like the Vikings late. I like the Jaguars late. And super late, I like the Falcons. Uh, Justin, what, what late round defenses do you like this year? And then, Adam, you can jump in and, and give your thoughts. Oh, man. I wish my co-host, uh, Armando, heard this. You know, it's kind of an approach like I would do with um, DFS. Uh, I know my, my, my partner in crime usually starts at the bottom on DraftKings and, and goes with the cheapest ones from week to week because this, that's just what it's become. I mean, these defensive powerhouses are no longer. And if you, if you want a Denver or a Seattle, you're going to be the goofball that drafts them, like you said, in round 10 or 11. Um, yeah, the key is to know, find the, who's going to be the next defense that that's going to jump up. That that to me is the challenge. Yeah, yeah. And, and this is why I draft three because week to week. I mean, I've, you know, we've seen it. You know, the Raiders could have a good week. It's it's you know, there, there's defenses here. You don't have to go and grab Carolina earlier. There's you know. I'm still actually flabbergasted how infatuated you are by the 49ers offense, Todd. I'm thinking about it. They have to play the Seahawks twice. They have to play the Rams twice. They have to play the Arizona Cardinals twice. And and they're probably going to be 10 double-digit underdogs every week. So I suppose Chip will get the offense going, and in a garbage time, it'll manufacture fantasy points. That that works for Uh, me, by the way. um, (laughs) So the the Cecil Shorts of – um, we used to draft Cecil Shorts because, you know, he would be productive in, in garbage time. But, yeah, I don't know. As far as defenses right now, I haven't taken a deep look in, in Todd. But, I mean, obviously, you know, the, the Jets are in the middle of the pack. Um, the Rams are going to be the Rams. The Minnesota Vikings, um, you know, and this is something that I'm, that's happening really late. And, and, I, and I suppose on any given week, you know, any defense going to, and we've seen it from all the time. We see it in DFS. I mean, some of these, these defenses that we didn't suspect that week of having you fade, you know, the Seattle Seahawks at 4,500 and they get killed. And, and you had the Oakland Raiders that cost you half. And, you know, the ownership of the Seahawks was relatively high. You might be in good shape. So I, you know, I do like the Jacksonville Jaguars. That is a young defense that has caught my eye and as a whole, that football team is, is intriguing to me. But honestly, Todd, there hasn't been a ton of thought at this point in time in defense, defenses and, and special teams. But I'll, as, you know, July and August nears, I think we'll have a better idea how some of these defenses are going to um, mesh and, and become cohesive. All right. Fair enough. I personally uh, don't like the, uh, the Niners as much as maybe I've given the impression. I'm just saying that they're sneaky and I'm not going to completely avoid them. Adam, how about you? Any, you know, I know you were really big on the Broncos last year and they were not considered a top five defense going in. Who, who, uh, yeah. who, who's on your list for this year? Yeah, I mean, the Broncos were a case where they had just unbelievable talent at all three levels, you know, in the line, linebackers, and in the secondary. I think a team that's added a ton of talent to their defense this year is the Bears. And I think, you know, we saw a blueprint for how you handle Jay Cutler. Saw it, already talked about it with Adam Gaze. I think if they play slower and more conservative, can help their defense. And they've added a lot of talent there. Obviously, they have to play the Packers twice, but I think, 
game against the Lions and the Vikings will not test uh, their defense very much. And I also think the Eagles um, have more talent on defense than they're giving credit for. I mean, they were their defense was really hung out to dry last year by a chip. They were on the field for the equivalent of like two extra games um, by way by virtue of how fast that chip played. Um, I expect them to play at a much more friendly pace for defenses this year. And with Doug Peterson there, we talked about how Kansas City was an awesome defense last year. Um, I don't think that the Eagles can get to that level, but at least they'll be set up for far, far more success. I think they have more talent than people give them credit for. So I think Chicago and Philly are both probably available in like, you know, 16, 17th, maybe later uh, rounds of, of the MFL 10s. Yeah, I, I've got a lot of Atlanta in the last round. I think he's a good coach. I thought they showed signs of being a, a better defense last year. I, I expect them to continue, that to continue, and in the 20th round as the third defense. Um, I agree with you on Philadelphia. I've got a, 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 you know, a couple shares there already. I think Buffalo is also kind of sneaky. Uh, I've got my average on them is the 200th pick, Uh you know, we know what he, Rex Ryan can do with the defense, and we also know that he didn't do it last year. But I think that that's another defense that at least has the pedigree to to take a step up and be a value. So mm-hmm. back, uh, we'll, we'll we'll finish up uh, with two things. I, I want to talk a little bit about rookies. I know Adam that you said that you are not um, one of these real crunchers, but. Who, which running backs, uh, I'm sorry, which rookies are most on your radar uh, to get both for MFL? Yeah, for MFL 10s, uh, which rookies are you really looking at the most? Yeah, I, I think my favorite right now is Sterling Shepard on, on the Giants just because I don't trust Victor Cruz. And I think that regardless, Giants run so many three wide sets, you know, along with the Packers, they'll probably run those three wide sets in the league. And I don't expect the Giants to have much success at all running the football once again this year. So I think Sterling Shepard in a slot role in a full PPR league where um, he can catch a ton of passes, a ton of short dump balls from Eli Manning while defense is focused on Odell Beckham. I certainly think that, that, that Sterling Shepard is my favorite rookie right now. Yeah. I, uh, I was very pleased. I have not been very pleased with a lot of the giant picks over the last number of years, but I was very pleased with that pick. He kind of reminds me a little bit of Steve Smith. Um, You know, just that, that small guy with a real good burst and good hands who seems to be fearless. Yeah. I've heard Thompson Randall Cobb. Uh, I mean, I, I, you know, I I think that he'll just catch and get a, a lot of volume, probably way more volume than people think that, Corey Coleman or, or LaCon Treadwell or, or a lot of these other guys will get. All right. So we'll finish up with the, the first round. And, Justin, what are your favorite spots? You know, if you had your choice of your favorite spots in MFL 10 starting, you know, one of my favorite things to do is to look real quick to see where I'll be drafting. I've got my favorite spots. What are your favorite spots? And do you have any spots where you see it where you go, oh, crap? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm honestly, I like to draft late, and I have for a couple of years. I'm, I mean, I can go bang bang with my wide receivers, like I keep mentioning. Um, I have a uncomfortable amount of Mike Evans at this point, Keenan Allen, and Allen Robinson. Probably from honestly, from ten 
to 12, I like because I'm immediately picking in the second and I can kind of build a foundation, whether that's Mike Evans, uh, Brandon Marshall combination, who I, I found myself some Brandon Marshall might be in round two. That is Alshon, Jeffrey, Mike Evans, Keenan Allen, something along those lines. Um, maybe a, a tiny bit of Brandon Cooks and Amari Cooper. But that seems to be, for me, because I'm drafting early, and that's great. You're going to take Antonio Brown or Julio Jones at one or two or Beckham at three, or you, he might go earlier in some of these MFL 10s. Some people like Beckham um, right next to AB. But then you have to wait a while. And I lo- as much as I love wide receivers, it gets murky after I think the Jeremy Macklins of the world, now you start talking about the golden Tates and the Julian Edelman's who can't stay on the field and you're, and you're stuck with maybe a, uh, a Jordan Matthews or a Jarvis Landry or a, um, a Calvin Benjamin on the way back. So if I'm later in the draft, then it fits to what I'm trying to do. And that's 10, 11 or 12. And I can go bang, bang and, and nine out of 10 times or it's going to be wide receiver, wide receiver. And I'm, I'm perfectly content with, like I said, Mike Evans, Allen Robinson, Sammy Watkins, I'm a little off of right now because of the injury. But if Watkins, I promise that Watkins uh, is healthy, I'll, I'll be okay. I mean, Jordy Nelson is dipping. I think, you know, people are treating these MCLs like a, the average cold. Um, so I'm a little standoffish of Jordy Nelson. But um, Amari Cooper, for sure. I've been landing Jeremy Macklin round three, which I, I spoke about earlier. And, and Demarius Thomas, believe it or not, is falling into round three, which is – I get the nervousness about the quarterback situation. It's going to be the first time without Peyton Manning for DT. But if there's anything we've learned from Demarius Thomas is he's going to stay healthy. He's going to have close to 100 catches and, and 1,300, 1,400 yards. So, and a lot of his productions come from you know, bubble screens and such. So um, DT has been probably the value of all values that I've seen. I won't – I probably won't – I mean, maybe late in the second I would take DT, but I've seen him in the third, which is laughable for me. But definitely late. Late or a de- dead smack in the middle, so I'm really not on on either side. Gotcha. Uh, I, I agree. When I see Demarius in the late second, early third, that's a pick that I'm considering. And I also like Emmanuel Sanders mid-fifth where I'm finding him a lot. Adam, how about you in the first round? Do you have any favorite spots so far this year? Yeah, I'm going to go on the other side. I actually like the first, uh, one of the first three picks, just because I think that where I beat people is in the later rounds. You know, like there's so much information out there and, and people aren't really going to make big mistakes early on. Um, I like to just lock up a super safe pick. So I agree with Justin. I, I like Keaton Allen a ton. I'm fine with Mike Evans, um, I'm okay with Dez, but I'd rather just lock in my first-round pick and just be like, this guy is just a stone-cold nuts, and then worry about everything else later just because I think that I can beat people there. So I'll take one of Antonio, Julio, or Odell, and then work from there. Yeah, I really like that this year. And the reason is when I look at a guy like Mike Evans versus a Demarius Thomas, I, I don't see – you know, I, I do see a difference, but, the, you know, I'm not sitting there – feeling at the end of the second round like I'm falling off a cliff. Uh, Anyone who's done fantasy for a long time, you know, you kind of think in tears. And I feel like that, that, that once you get past those, you know, and I'll throw in AJ Green and Hopkins a little below those three, Adam. And I, I like them almost as much, 
uh, definitely a different tier, but uh, 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 that second tier is higher than anyone else that I like. Um, I, I would much rather have one of those five or six guys. And then the, whatever I'm finding at the back of the second round, because the guys are so close, like I said, guys like Devonta Freeman, guys like I've had Adrian Peterson fall all the way to almost the end of the second round where uh, all my hesitancy about him is gone there. So that's kind of my thoughts on it as well. I do want to give one last tip before we say goodbye. Um, Use the Rotoviz Best Ball app. If you haven't paid $30 for Rotoviz, and they're not a paid sponsor, this is just something that I do every day. Um, it is kind of my key to being good at an MFL 10. I can see what the trends are, I can see my own exposure. And one of the key things for me in an MFL 10, yeah, I might like a guy more than the other, but with injuries in the NFL, I don't want to have you know, 40% of uh, uh, Antonio Brown, I would, you know, and and 10% of Odell Beckham, I'll switch it up so that it's more like 25 to 20% if if that's kind of a good analogy. Uh, So use the Rotoviz Best Ball Act. Check out both your exposure. And if you're in a draft with someone and you're in the back end of a round, let's say you've got pick 210, uh, look at the guys who pick, in, you know, in between before you're going to pick again in the following round. You're going to be able to see who they take where, and you might be able to choose someone and then get the other guy you like on the way back. And those are just a few tips that I found. Adam, do you use that app? Yeah, I don't. I probably don't play enough MFL 10s to, uh, to, to use it, but I've seen people tweet about it a lot. It looks really cool. Yeah, it, it's a great thing. And for $30, you absolutely can't beat it. Adam, so thankful that you came and did the pod with Justin and I. We really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for doing it. Uh, good luck to you this season. Uh, continued success. Justin as well, thanks so much for doing the Run to Daylight pod. Do we have any last questions or any last thoughts? Well, we, we touched on a bunch of stuff tonight, Todd. I, mean, I think, um, you know, and I appreciate Adam coming on. It's, it's always a pleasure t- talking to Adam Levitan, one of the, one of the best in the industry. It's, um, you know, one one thing that I was thinking about, you guys were talking about running backs earlier, latish is Frank Gore that I'm seeing, I'm seemingly ageless. I, I like to call Frank Gore. He's a guy that I think you know he's going to be healthy primarily despite being 33. His role is carved out, and he's probably going to have 1,000 yards. Um, just a, a random uh, ADD note there um, for me. And um, and real quick before we wrap up, Todd and Adam, DeAndre Hopkins, I wanted to real, real, just ask you guys about love him. Do we see regression from him? Different quarterback. Lamar Miller's in the picture. They go out and they draft two wide receivers in Will Fuller and Braxton Miller. Of course, Jalen Strong is, is in the equation. Um, Cecil Shores just took a discount. Adam, why don't DeAndre you take Hopkins, that one? Joe. Yeah, no, I think that the addition is actually going to help DeAndre Hopkins. I thought as he slowed down in the second half last year, a lot of that had to do with extra defensive attention. I mean, he talked about how hard it was for him to get off of double teams um, last year. And I actually think, you know, I, I, I think Brock Osweiler is better than people give him credit for. And I have a ton of respect for Bill O'Brien. 
as a quarterback guru, I think Brock Osweiler is going to be just fine. I mean, under under Bill O'Brien, Christian Hackenberg looked like the number one overall pick at Penn mm-hmm. State. As soon as Bill O'Brien leaves, he's a train wreck. So yep. um, I think Brock is going to be just fine. I think he'll be an upgrade on what they had last year. And, and yeah, I, I like DeAndre Hopkins a lot. Yeah, I, I agree with Adam. I think he'll get less targets than he did last year, but I think he's in a position to be more efficient with those targets throughout the whole year because he definitely did slow down. I agree. I mean, and he had this awful quarterback play last year, even if, and I also agree on Osweiler. I think he's better than people give him credit for, but even if he's not, I still think he's an upgrade on what they had last year. So uh, gentlemen, I'm going to ask you for a last call of the night. Um, And we'll start with you, Justin, then we'll go to Adam. Who's the first round bust, if any? If you know, pick a guy who's being consistently drafted in the first round that you think is most likely to bust. Oh man, um, you know I'm seeing. I hate to say this, maybe Rob Gronkowski. Um, I just because the black unicorn Martellus Bennett is is now <laughs> the black him. unicorn. <laughs> That's what he is, and and he. I guess he looks good. He's we might be with, without Tom Brady for the first four games. We don't know what Jimmy Garoppolo's made of. Um, tight end after Gronk and a healthy Jordan Reed. It really gets mediocre. Maybe Greg Olson, but and I hate, to, like I said, I hate you put me on the spot here, Todd. I do not like Rob Gronkowski at this point in time in the first round. I don't like any tight end that early, to be honest with you. Um, well, that's my job to put you on the on the spot a little yeah. bit, Adam. Yeah, uh, we're, we're gonna we're gonna go to you. Who is the most likely in your mind bust in the first round, non-injury? Yeah, I'm not gonna take Todd Gurley, um, and I just don't take two down backs this early in drafts. Um, and I know Todd Gurley is a very very special talent. Um, I'm not gonna take a guy who does not play on third downs who struggles to catch passes when I don't think that his team is going to be very good when he has a very uh, difficult schedule. Um, so for me, I, I mean, Ty Gurley, I would rather take any of the wide receivers going after uh, Ty Gurley. You know, I'd rather take Dez. I'd rather take Allen Robinson. I'd rather take Keenan. I'd rather take Mike Evans um, over Ty Gurley. So uh, I'm sure I'll regret that in a few of the weeks, but I think he'll have some really, really bad weeks too where he's just unusable, and, and that's not – um, something I can live with when I'm sending the number six overall pick on a guy. Yeah, I, I think that that's going to be a pretty popular um, expert call for who's going to bust. I think his second year coming off the uh, the injury, um, you know, I, I, I think there's definitely merit to what you just said, and I, I'm not going to by any means go against it. Um, I, I also have to though throw out Gronkowski. I, I, I do think that he, as as amazing as he is, it just seems like the injuries are starting to have a cumulative effect on him. And then you add the fact that Bennett's there and you're putting a first-round tag on him. I, I don't think he's going to be a bust per se, but he's a guy that I haven't taken in the first round. If he slips a little further down, I'm interested in him. Adam, last thought of the night. Gronkowski, I know you're a super fan of the man. 
but your thoughts on his uh, his situation? Yeah, no, I thought one of the best things for me last year in DFS was, was getting off Gronk early, and, and, you know, like the numbers didn't add up. Like all the data kept saying to play Gronk, play Gronk, play Gronk, even at his price, but his price never went down, even as his production waned because people were owning him so much. Um, you know, I, I thought that Jordan Reed on a week-to-week basis was better, and we were getting like 2K uh, of savings. And, and really, like, Rob Gronkowski's targets were somewhat down last year, too. You know, like, there were just times where they just did not throw him the ball uh, for long periods, even when they were struggling with other weapons. So I certainly have no problem not taking Rob Gronkowski in the first round. Um, there's some tight ends I like late. Like, I kind of like going Dwayne Allen, Martellus Bennett, in an MFL 10 or, or stuff like that where you take two kind of touchdown-heavy tight ends that you can get in the 12th or 13th round and, and kind of ride with that rather than spending a first-round pick on Gronk. Yeah, I I, uh, I certainly have not gone early tight end at all. I love Bennett. I think, uh, you know, and I heard a Roto World blurb on him recently. Right now, um, uh, looking at my own exposure, I've got eight Martellus Bennett, seven Dwayne Allens, six uh, Jared Cooks, six Travis Kelseys, and five Barnkowskis. Um, and, and, you know, the earliest there is Kels at the seven, I average on the 72nd pick. So I'm right with you there. I think Charles Clay late, I think is another guy. And I know I've got a couple shares. A lot of people are on Vance McDonald. That's another name. So we'll, we'll be back Justin and I with a, a third guest for the second round of our MFL 10 summit. We'll be covering rounds two through 10 um, and a lot of the players next time. Again, guys, thank you so much for joining the Run to Daylight podcast. I am going to take us out with this song. Man, we just fell about the place. If that chick don't want to know, forget her.